You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 3. Sometime later, after the soldiers were out of the building, Gil and the guys got to taping up the window and better securing the door. One of them set down his tape and came over to Sid. I'm Kyle Zimmer, he said holding out his hand. She shook it and wondered for a second where she saw him before. He was fairly tall, but not as tall as Ben. Handsome in a rich Ivy Leaguer sort of way. Was he in a class with me? Had we passed each other in the hallway, she thought. Student president, he said. Ah, yes, she remembered. Zimmer's your winner. The campaign poster's plastered all over campus last year. But not for long, another guy chimed in. I'm Trent, Kyle's main competition for next year. And apparently the token black guy in this supply closet. There was some polite laughter, which felt completely inappropriate under the circumstances. Considering what was happening, it was pretty optimistic to think there'd even be a next year. That's Denver over there, Trent announced. Sam and Cody, they're brothers. Denver was crying softly. I hurt my ankle, she said to no one. Gil approached her. May I have a look, he asked, straightening his glasses. Denver nodded. He slid her high-heeled cork-wed shoe from her foot and assessed the injury. Maybe it's those stupid shoes, Sam remarked. I'm sorry, I wasn't expecting a bomb to go off during Intro to Natural Science, she said. That's a freshman course. Aren't you a sophomore? Cody asked. Shut up, she spat back. That's enough, Kyle barked. Gil looked around the room. Can you put weight on it? He asked Denver. She tried and failed rather dramatically. We'll have to splint it somehow. He went over to a wire shelving unit and started rummaging, mumbling incoherently. Denver sobbed harder. What about homecoming? She asked, no one in particular. Someone scoffed and swore. Sid was gnawing on her fingernails, taking it all in. How long do you think we'll be stuck in here, Doc? She asked Gil. He ran a hand through his unruly hair, then pushed his glasses up into it like a headband. He rubbed his eyes vigorously and shrugged. Depends on when they pull out. Hours? Days? Weeks? A hush fell upon the supply closet. Weeks, Cody repeated. We should probably talk about food and water, Kyle suggested. If you have anything to eat or drink, let's make a pile so we can ration it out. Great idea, Kyle, Gil said. A solutions man. I like it. He placed his glasses back onto his nose. I have a couple gallons of distilled water in here, which should keep us for a couple of days. I can't be here a couple of days, Sid whispered aloud. Gil finished wrapping Denver's foot and began looking around the room for his weather radio. I wonder if I can pick anything up with this, he said, tinkering with the controls. Static crackled from the speakers. Well, if we need a forecast, we're good, Trent said. Gil wasted no time setting him straight. Weather radios are designed to receive civil alerts, son. Child abductions, chemical spills, evacuations. Huh, Trent said, looking away. He never liked being put in his place. 
especially with an audience, learn something new or whatever. Those with bags searched them for food. They were able to make a small pile of protein bars, a string cheese, two Red Bulls, and Doritos. There were a few rolls of antacids and a pack of gum. They stared at the sad little pile. I'm starving, Cody said. I'm used to eating 4,000 calories a day for training. I hate to bring this up, Denver started, but I need to visit the little girl's room. There won't be any visiting, Gil said gently, but I think we might be able to build something here for us. Denver groaned, gross. Any volunteers? Gil asked. Kyle and Sid answered simultaneously and equally unenthusiastically. I'll do it, they laughed. Together, Sid and Kyle brainstormed, then rigged up a bathroom of sorts in one corner of the room, using a bowl, tissues, some sample collection bags, twist ties, and a hanging tarp for a tent. One plastic bag per usage, Kyle announced. Oops, forgot something, Kyle said, grabbing a bottle of isopropyl alcohol and placing it outside the tarp. For your hands. They stood back and admired their work. I think I'll be holding it in, Denver said. Suit yourself, Sid shot back. Think I'll christen it right now. Denver rolled her eyes at her and scrunched up her nose. But before Sid even had a chance to unzip, there was a noise, a whoosh of air. What the hell was that? She asked, pushing back the tarp. Then it happened again. Gil motioned for them to be still. The noise was coming from outside. Gil switched off the radio and was on his feet, peeking out of the plastic-covered window. Kyle joined him. That noise, he said. There was a whir, a vibrating, motorized buzz, much like, the drones are back, Kyle said, looking up to the late afternoon sky. A drone flew into the sky over the square, buzzing with small flashing lights. Just then, they watched a wary-looking group of refugees exit Winston Hall across the square. Their faces aren't covered. I'm not sure that's wise, Gil remarked. And then, inexplicably, the drone fired upon the group of escapees. Sid squeezed in between the men to get a glimpse. A laser beam picked off the students below one by one. They dropped to the ground, seconds apart, smoke drifted up from their burning wounds. Sid slowly backed away from the window, her hands covering her mouth. These aren't surveillance drones, Gil said. They're heat-seeking, infrared. He began to pace a two-foot area of the room, chewing on his fingernails. The cleanup crew, Trent remarked. Gil scratched his salt and pepper hair, pinched the bridge of his nose where his glasses sat. We've got to, we've got to cover ourselves to prevent detection. And with that, he was on a mission. There's no real way to defeat infrared, but I wonder if we can somehow conceal our body heat, he muttered. He started moving things around, knocking items off of the shelves in a mad dash. Can we help? Kyle asked. What are we looking for? Sid stood next to Kyle, ready to jump in. We have these sheets of foil, mylar foil from a conductivity experiment a few years back. Maybe they can hide our heat. Temporarily, anyway. He pulled out a box and fumbled with the lock. This is it. But the lock wouldn't budge. Gil scanned the room and spotted a fire extinguisher. He yanked it off the wall and crashed it down upon the lock. The box burst open. 
too loud, Denver whispered. Gil tore through the box, finding the blankets of foil at the bottom. Quickly, get under these. And then there was that sound again. Only this time it was much closer. It's flying over right now. They dashed under the foil blanket just as the drone reached the window. It hovered there, whirring like a giant, angry hummingbird. Beads of sweat rolled down Sid's back. She forced a deep breath as her heart began to thud so loudly she was sure everyone could hear it. Kyle turned his face toward her, beneath the Mylar tent. You okay? He whispered. She blinked, unable to respond. He grabbed her forearm and gave a squeeze. Breathe out, he mouthed, and she did. They stared at each other for what felt like an eternity. Sid could barely see anything but the whites of his eyes. The pressure of his fingertips on her arm kept her centered. They stayed that way until the worrying sound was long gone and Gil deemed it safe to uncover. Sam went to the window carefully to be sure the drones were gone. He looked back at the group and gave the thumbs up. Then he grinned. We've got bedhead, he said. They all looked around at each other and smiled. Except for Gil. He was still sitting on the floor, wringing his hands. What? Sid asked him. The drones. The soldiers. Bombs and shooting, he said. What do you do when you're being attacked by the forces who are supposed to protect you? As darkness crept in, most of them had settled down into their own little corners of the room. Cody, Sam, and Denver in one section, Gil, Kyle, and Trent in another. Most of them were able to avoid the food pile, afraid to be the first one to give in, curious to see how long they could go. And above all, not knowing how long they'd need to make it last. Sid was too nervous to be hungry. She was never a fan of the night under normal circumstances. Not knowing about Ben or her father, if they were alive or dead. Not knowing about the rest of the country or goddamn world. Would they survive this? Would the police be back? And if so, why were they under siege? They might escape the campus, but then what? So many unanswered questions. She paced nervously by the window, counting her steps. It was almost too much to bear. Seven, eight, nine. Her father had warned that such a thing was possible, that historically corrupt leaders had been known to attack their own citizens. It isn't altogether unheard of for a dictator to execute dissenters which was what many of her fellow classmates had recently become. She'd mocked her father's doomsday preparations, laughed at his silly notions. Hindsight was so cruel, she thought. At that moment in the closet, she wished desperately to go back, back to the moment before she ran away from Connery Hall to find Joss, back to the moment she left for school without even saying goodbye to her father. She laid her cheek against the cold wall. She knew why her father went to extremes to protect her. After her mother died suddenly while he was deployed, he vowed never to be unprepared again. She still had two Xanax in her pack. She thought about taking one of them, but who knows what the days ahead held for her. She decided that knowing they were there if she needed them was comfort enough. 
for now. You shouldn't be by the window, Sam said to her. What if a drone detects you? Sid nodded and tiptoed the nine steps back to her designated spot. It's getting dark in here, Denver announced, stating the obvious. Gil rose and scratched his chin. There's a headlamp in here, he said, rooting through some items. He pulled it out and attached it to a jug of water. The room glowed. Cody flicked his lighter on and off. His brother snatched it away from him. Put this away. There's no telling what was in that bomb and you're here making sparks. I'm pretty sure there's nothing flammable in the air, Gil said. It was some kind of contaminant, some sort of biohybrid agent that seemed to affect the frontal lobe or limbic system, maybe. To what end? Kyle asked. Gil shrugged. Lesions? Or injury to that part of the brain? Judgment is impaired, free will destroyed. Jesus Christ, Trent swore. Think it's permanent? Gil looked down at his feet, shrugged his shoulders, and shook his head. I don't get it. Why would someone attack us? Sid asked. We're just students. Kids, really, Cody said. Gil nodded. An attack like this? It's meant to intimidate, frighten, call attention to a goal. I never liked bullies, Denver said. For the first time, everyone agreed with her. The most important thing, Gil said, is to stick together. The loss of personal property, the lack of supplies, there's no telling how people will treat each other under those circumstances. They all looked around the room, wondering if they would always be so kind and helpful toward each other, then pushed away the thoughts of horrors that could turn them against each other. Sid tried to prop up her makeshift messenger bag pillow. Won't that light be visible from outside? She snapped. Gil switched it off promptly. Probably right, he said, turning to Denver. Sorry, young lady. Probably better we stay dark. She turned her face away. Gil came over and knelt beside Sid. How's your head there? Still bleeding? Or is that tape holding? She grinned and nodded. It's fine, she said, shrugging off his attentions. Listen, Gil, what's our plan? I mean, there's safety in numbers and everything, but I'm no sitting duck, she whispered. We've got no food, a very temporary bathroom. I can't sit and wait for help that may never come. Kyle, who was only a foot away and privy to their conversation, offered his two cents. She's right. At the very least, we need to start taking baby steps. Maybe we move into the main science lab and use this room as a makeshift bathroom for now. Gil thought for a moment. Yes, of course, you're both right. I do think we should wait for the morning, spend the night preparing, making plans. Making weapons, Trent added. We have no idea what's out there. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Trisha Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.